We're so thankful to have each one here tonight. We do have visitors among us, and we want you to know we appreciate your being here. I think it is valuable for just a moment to explain to our visitors and to our friends what we are doing on Sunday evenings. We are discussing some issues that have arisen within our local area, and by that I mean within the area in which most of us are aware and have friends, things that are not in accordance with the will of God. And in doing so, I want to caution us to not become pessimistic about the Lord's church. It's very easy to hear about someone saying or doing or practicing something which is not in accordance with God's word and to believe that the church is just all going astray. That is certainly not the case. There are still many faithful, loyal, good people who want to do the right thing, who want to follow God's word. But yet at the same time, we cannot ignore what is obviously false and why it is occurring. And so for these few weeks, we have been addressing some things that are difficult issues. And tonight, we're going to begin with the subject of women preachers. And uh, I will point out to you that the Lord's Church is at this time experiencing trouble in many areas. And when I mean that, not just in many places, but I'm talking about among many things. Uh, We've talked about things like, for instance, last Sunday evening, the very basic inspiration of the Bible. We've talked about things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage in more than one way. And tonight we're going to address the subject of women preachers. And I would begin by asking, who decides what we're going to do? Who makes the decision about what is right and what is wrong? And does it really matter? Because there are many people who are of the conviction that you and I decide what we do to please God. And there are others who would believe that you may do it your way and I may do it my way. And it really doesn't matter one way or another as long as one is sincere, as long as one has a genuine desire to please God. Well, I want to address something that I I think many of you may be aware of. Some of you may not. And so I will describe it as we go along. We're going to talk about it from the same, I guess you would say, metaphor or figure of speech that I used in our lesson this morning. When you get to preparing one lesson, it begins to bleed over into your other ones. And I want to talk about a symptom. I want to talk about a sickness. I want to talk about a solution. You see, the symptom is simply the outgrowth or something that happens as a result of sickness. And there is a symptom that can be discerned with regards to this. And then finally, we've got to focus in on what God says to truly find the solution. Four weeks ago today, November the 23rd, 2014, at the 4th Avenue Congregation in Franklin, Tennessee, They welcomed their new preaching intern, Lauren King. Uh, Her video welcoming her uh, at the church was posted on YouTube and Vimeo. Uh, I saw it the first time when some of the friends, right after it occurred, posted links to it on Facebook. I went then and watched it and was in utter amazement. 
with regards to what was being said and how it was being justified. When I mention her name and the congregation, I'm not trying to be ugly in doing so. Evidently, they were proud enough of this to create a little snippet video of about five minutes to explain what had happened, how proud they were of it, and how happy that they were that this had happened among them. And so my mentioning is only furthering what they wanted done. I will tell you that uh, when I began preparing this lesson, I went to the YouTube so I could watch it uh, again in detail to take notes on it, and I noticed that it had been blocked on YouTube. And uh, by them, it had been put under private status. So I searched a little bit further, found it again on Vimeo, and realizing that it also might disappear, I downloaded that one. And then about an hour or two after I downloaded it, it also disappeared. So um, maybe they're not as proud of it now as they once were. Uh, but I do have a copy of it if any of you wish to see it. Um, what occurred? David Lipscomb University had this young lady, Lauren King, who had been a Bible major and decided she wanted to go into preaching. And so they called the 4th Avenue congregation and said, we have a young lady who wants to intern as a preacher. Would you guys be interested? And their, quote, senior minister, Patrick Mead, said, send her on. We want her. Bring her on. And so she came and moved there. Now, someone might immediately say, well, how did they know to call 4th Avenue? What made them such a natural choice to say, we've got a young lady who wants to preach? Well, 4th Avenue has been going astray for quite some time. In fact, if you want to look on YouTube now, on April the 13th, 2014, on their um, Day of Special Music, they have a video that shows their minister sitting about this area right here on the stage playing a guitar with a group on the stage singing Old Sacred Head. So they're singing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with instrumental music. And so this is something that is not new in their area. Now, if you watch the video, here are some of the things that you're going to observe. She explains that she grew up at the Rural Hills Church of Christ in Antioch and uh, that her father, Russ King, was the preacher there. Now he is the preacher at Donaldson. Uh, so you can now attach at least three Nashville area congregations to this. She stated that God was calling her into the ministry. That first he called her into youth ministry. She started out as communications major and then changed to being a ministry major with an emphasis in youth ministry and did youth ministry interns. And she points out that both Lipscomb and her family were very supportive of her going down this route. Now I'm going to use some of the terminology and quotation marks that she used. And during the middle of this, she said she recognized that it was just crazy and that it was cool that this was okay with people of our tribe the words crazy, cool, and tribe are all her words to describe the fact that she was so welcomed as a preaching uh, intern. She went on to say everyone should be able to worship in a different way and everyone be unified. Now think about that for just a moment. Everybody should be able to worship in a different way. 
however you want to express your devotion to God, and yet we be unified on that. Now, whether you have been aware of that, that's something that's been taught particularly among the denominations and among our liberal brethren for a long time, and it's called unity in diversity. The fact that we are all just different, and yet we still are able to be unified. Later on in the video, and I'm going to quote her on this, she wanted every teenager, every girl or guy, to know that regardless of the gifts the Lord gave them, that they can use it for His kingdom. If the Lord has given you a gift, you are allowed to use it. And you are called to use it for Him. I wonder, even though she did not discuss it, what if a young man, a young woman comes up and says, I'm a great dancer. That's the gift God has given me. So are we going to have dancing in the pulpit? And Is that going to be our gift? What if someone... I recognize you understand this is getting ridiculous. What if a stripper says, that's my gift to be able to... You understand how far this can go. Right after that, the female minister of administration said they embraced differences and wanted to be a body of unity. And she said, we are committed to open change. Open meaning that other people can see it and know that that's what's taking place among them. Miss King, when she was delivering the sermon, they had excerpts from the sermon, she begins first by misquoting Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. She says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith. A little bit different, uh, but after doing that, she asks, when God calls us to be united, why is it that other people who believe in God get in our way? Why is it that other people get in our way? Obviously, she would be referring to people perhaps like myself. Who would say, this is not right? I want you to, for just a moment, imagine with me when Ahab and Elijah were coming to loggerheads. Ahab and his wife Jezebel had brought in the worship of Baal. In fact, they were feeding prophets of Baal at their table. And Elijah was challenging that in 1 Kings chapter 18. Or I want you to imagine with me, Amos, as he goes to Jeroboam and at God's direction challenges the direction he's leading God's people. In 1 Kings 18 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Let me ask you a question. Because Elijah's going to respond in the very next words, verse. Who's really the one responsible for the trouble? Is it Elijah who is calling attention to the fact that this is a departure from God, or is it Ahab? And Elijah's response was, It's you and your house who've troubled Israel, speaking to Ahab. Or if you go to Amos chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and the royal residence. 
You don't prophesy here. We don't want to hear your negative attitude among us. I just ask you, when she asked the question, why is it that people who believe in God get in our way? Perhaps is it because there are people who are saying, this is just not right. Perhaps one of the most disturbing things comes from the preacher. And I assume that he's the main one because he's listed as the, quote, senior minister, unquote. Here's what he said. I do not believe that the Apostle Paul, in two verses, two passages, was trying to undo the rest of Scripture. I think he was addressing a temporary issue in Corinth and Ephesus. And I think if we know our history, we can see what it was. He was not trying to make rules for everybody at every time. What, does the, what the Bible does is to tell me about Jesus. And I don't read Jesus through Paul. I read Paul through Jesus. And I think churches of Christ are actually getting this that we no longer read all the Bible as equal, but rather we come to Jesus. The law and the prophets brought us to him. The transfiguration, listen to him. Now everything Paul said, he was a fellow student with us. Let's read it through Jesus. Now, I'm going to respond to that in just a few moments, but I, I wanted to get the quote before you for you to think about that. Comments on social media, which is Facebook and others, have been revealing how serious this symptom really is. Because, you see, after someone posts something and they say, this is a travesty or this is not according to Scripture, then people can comment on it below it. Those who dared question have been vilified as judgmental. When you say the Bible does not authorize this, well, how dare you be so judgmental of the church there in Franklin? How dare you to question this young lady and what she's trying to do for the Lord? Many posted the fact that they were, this is the kind of reasons that they left the church. They said, I, you know, the church is just too harsh, too judgmental, too limiting. Now, folks, I'm again emphasizing these are symptoms. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I don't know if you realize the significance of putting verses 20 and 21 together. The significance is, is that some people have a distorted view of right and wrong. The way a person gets a distorted view of right and wrong is when they set themselves up as the arbiter or the judge. I am not the judge of Miss King, nor am I the judge of the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ in Franklin. The Lord is. 
And it is by what he says that judgments are rendered. And you see, folks, that's a very important part of this. Now I want to begin to talk about the sickness. If you go to the doctor and he diagnoses that you have certain symptoms, his goal is to try to find out what it is that is causing these symptoms. What is the cause of this and other departures? Why are we in this position today? I'm going to give you at least a couple things. The first one is the influence of society on church. Do you believe that the world that you and I find ourselves in Monday through Saturday affects the way many people think on Sunday morning and Sunday night? Well, I do. I want you to go with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Nehemiah, to chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. Let me give you a little background before we go there. The children of Israel have returned from the Babylonian captivity. And as they've returned from the captivity, they arrive back in the promised land. And there have been some people who have remained there through the period of the captivity. It's a very small number. But what had happened, these people, rather than maintaining a pure bloodline, rather than abstaining from marrying other nations, they started marrying the people round about them. And what Nehemiah describes is what he found when he returned. He said, in those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. You see, what had happened after a period of associating with their pagan neighbors, it had started affecting their language, their speech, to the point where the children of Israel, Judah, could no longer speak their own language. You know what really, really bothers me is when I hear people from other groups speak and they don't use biblical terminology. It's filled with a lot of, I think, I feel, rather than this is what God's Word actually says. Our attitudes, our actions... And our speech often betray us. I'm going to tell you, folks, I cringe every time when someone comes up to me and says, let me introduce you to Tony. He's our pastor. Now, that doesn't happen much. And I'm going to tell you why it doesn't happen much. is because I bring it up every so often. People here ought to know that. Well, if you attend here enough, you ought to know that. But, you know, we pick up the, the language of the world, the thoughts of the world. Let me tell you how some of this has happened in the world and it has been brought into the church. Of course, the 20th century was filled with feminism that began early in the century. But it really caught hold in 1972 with the introduction as an amendment to the U.S. Constitution known as the Equal Rights Amendment. It never was passed by enough of the states to be ratified as an amendment to the Constitution. It was given a period of seven years until 1979 
And after not being able to receive enough votes from the states, then it died as an amendment. But the Equal Rights Amendment said that there would be no discrimination of any sort between males and females. It would have, contrary to many people's proclamation, it would have included unisex bathrooms. You can't have a bathroom for men or women. Have you ever noticed there's always a line outside of women's restrooms? I'm telling you the, the reality. And it was stated that what you will have is there will be equality, and so they'll both use the same ones. You say, well, nothing like that would ever happen. Do you know what happened in Houston, Texas just a few weeks ago with regards to the proclamation of a mayor there saying that men could use women's restrooms, women could use men's restrooms, and cross-dressers could go anywhere they wanted to go? You see, our society is sick, and we've caught the disease. We've allowed them to infect us to the point where we begin to reason like they reason. Okay, how did it affect the religious world in general? Episcopals, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, ordained women. And I only gave you just a few of the big names. There's probably a list, if you want to have it, a list of numerous churches that ordain women. One of the most popular television speakers is not a man, but is a woman, Joyce Meyer. Turn on the television, she's on everywhere you go. Several congregations have begun to allow women in various worship roles and leadership roles. The Bearing Drive Congregation in Houston, the Brookline Congregation in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston, the Dayspring Congregation in Edmond, Oklahoma. In fact, that group of people actually have a website called Galatians328.org or GAL328.org. You can go in there and they actually will tell you congregations that have women participating, leading singing, reading scripture, leading prayer publicly. Many of them will say, we'll allow women to do anything but be elders and the senior minister. I don't know what's the big title of this senior minister. It actually caught hold in Middle Tennessee in 1989. In 1989, the National Jubilee started. Many of you may remember that. Sister Jane McWhorter was invited to be upon the first program. She went in to deliver her lecture, and there were a number of men in the lecture to hear her speak. She said, guys, I'm not speaking to you leave. Some of them went out grumbling, complaining, and fussing that they had to leave. And she had to, on more than one occasion, to tell them to leave or she would not speak. What resulted from that was she and Brother Don McWhorter spoke on that subject, he to men and mixed groups, she to women, about the role of women in the Lord's church. But that, that was something that was thrust here in Middle Tennessee. I suggest to you society has infected us, and that's part of the sickness. You look at what society's doing, and it's being brought over into the church. If they are going to do it out in the world, why not let's do it in the church? Second great part of the sickness 
is a general issue with biblical interpretation. How do we decide what we do in the Lord's church? And that's something that applies to so many areas. And so many people today are oblivious how to open their Bible and begin to say, now what does the Bible say and how do I interpret it? Lord willing, in January, my goal is to have a few lessons on what I call DIY, do-it-yourself. And what we're going to do, we're going to take the Bible, we're going to learn how to read, learn how to study, learn how to interpret, learn how to apply. You see, there's a failure to understand the difference between the temporary and the permanent. You see... The minister, Patrick Mead, started talking about what was being written in two passages. Now, I'm assuming he's referring to 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He suggests we're only temporary. Well, how do you know it's only temporary? How do you determine when you come to a passage of Scripture if it's something that's to be done by everybody, everywhere, and all? In fact, he said... You know, we shouldn't think that this was for everybody at all times in every place. There's a failure to respect all of Scripture, suggesting that Paul was simply a fellow student with us, betrays a lack of an appreciation for the inspiration of Scripture. When you suggest we only read the passages from Jesus and that if we read Paul, we consider, well, Paul's just like us. He's a fellow student. He's learning from Jesus just like we're learning from Jesus. Let me take you to scriptures for just a second. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, Paul says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, folks... Either Paul was telling the truth or he was not telling the truth. If he was telling the truth that what he was writing were the commandments of the Lord, that's claiming inspiration for what Paul writes. If you go back with me to chapter 2 and look at verse 13 and verse 16, he says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Spirit teaches, combining spiritual things with spiritual, and I would suggest the American standard is correct by saying spiritual words. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You mean Paul has the mind of Christ? How does he have it? The Holy Spirit inspired him to have that. No, I'm not a fellow student with Paul. Paul had something I don't have. Paul had inspiration given from the Holy Spirit. When Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, he calls Paul's writing scripture. Notice, he's talking about what is written by Paul. He says in verse 15, As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom that was given him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable people twist to their own destructions. Now listen carefully. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. 
You see this idea that I don't read Jesus through Paul, I read Paul through Jesus. That's misunderstanding the nature of Scripture in and of itself. The third is the failure to understand how God speaks to us. I didn't mention earlier in the lesson, uh, but Miss King, when she was describing about how God had called her into this preaching ministry, she said, whenever I come into something, if I have peace within myself, I know that's something God has called me to do. In other words, if I have this feeling, and she uses the word feeling, is that the way God speaks to me? Is, is through the feelings that I might have? God does not speak through feelings or through a sense of peace. In Acts 23, verse 1, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Later on, when he is standing before Felix, he says, Indeed, I thought my, indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. How did Paul feel when he stood at the feet of those who were stoning Stephen? He thought, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm sure he had a sense of accomplishment, a sense of peace in doing that. But was it right? Feelings do not determine what God wants us to do. God speaks, but He speaks through His Son. When the writer of the book of Hebrews opened this marvelous letter, he writes, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. That means that if God has spoken to me by His Son, I've got to go to the book that reflects the words of His Son, which includes not only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also Acts through the book of Revelation. One cannot do anything he wants religiously, even if it is sincere. I want to give you an illustration which I think drives this point home. If you go to First Chronicles chapter 13, <clears throat> I could review with you verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses there in chapter 15, verse 13. David was very zealous to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Verse 3, And let us bring the Ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assemblies said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Hey, that's a good idea. How are we going to bring it back? They placed it on a brand new cart. Oxen that never pulled anything before. It's going to be carried in a special way. That's the right thing to do, David. Go for it. Verse 7. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. You all know what happened. The oxen stumbled. The cart shifted on, or the ark shifted on the cart. Uzzah reached out to touch it. God struck him dead there. 
Did David do so with a good attitude, desiring to do what's right? Well, sure he did. Did the children of Israel want the Ark of the Covenant to come to Jerusalem? Well, sure they did. Was that a good thing? Yes. Uzzah was a man who did not want the Ark of the Covenant to fall off that cart, and he put out his hand to steady the Ark. Did he do so with hate in his heart or uh, some sort of ill will or desire? Obviously not. But all of that, because it was wrong, brought the displeasure of God. Chapter 15, verse 13. Here's what we learn. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. We didn't go and ask God, is that the way you want it done? In fact, God had already made it clear how He wanted it done. That's the reason why those rings were on both sides of that ark. That's the reason why there were poles made, because God had directed them to transport that ark by means of the pole on the shoulders of the priest. But you see, just because you've got a good idea doesn't make it right. The solution is for us to always seek the will of God. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, do all in His name. That's one of my favorite songs in the songbook. Do all in the name of the Lord. The teaching of the role of women is clear in the New Testament. They are of equal value. People who miss that misunderstand. When you say you should not have women preachers, oh, don't you think women are as valuable as men? Most certainly. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Every woman stands before God as valuable of a soul as any man. Never misunderstand that. But not all have the same role. You see, certain men cannot qualify for every job, every role that God has assigned. You know, I go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, going all the way through uh, about verse 9 or 10. He's going to talk about the roles of elders and deacons. And if you look at verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. You can't be a bachelor and be an elder. He said, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospital, able to teach. He goes on to say, not a novice. You can't be a new convert. Verse 12, let Dakins be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house. Well, you mean you've got to have children. Well, yes, you do. Does that mean a young man over here who is loyal and faithful and devoted to the Lord and never married, that his soul is not worth as much as a person over here? Well, that would be foolish to say. But it's a matter of roles. While women could pray and prophesy, in fact, I, I would add, she must pray. She could prophesy. She's not supposed to do it before the assembly. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, verse 13. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one the same as she was shaved. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Do women pray? The answer is yes. 
But when I drop down to 14, verse 26, How's brethren, whenever you come together, that's an assembly of the church, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. As the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Do you notice he said, he also says the law? I carry also to Paul's writing to Timothy. We read that just a few moments ago. First Timothy chapter 2 and then verses 12 through 14. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Dropping down to verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. He's saying, I want male leadership. I want the men to pray everywhere. I want the men to conduct the assembly of the church together. The females are not permitted to do this. Of course, Minister Mead says, oh, that's just a temporary thing. We knew our history. We understood that. No, he ties it back to creation. Not a temporary situation. So where are we? It's a very serious thing. When God has established a plan and an order, and someone comes along and says, no, 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 no. We don't like it that way. We want it our way. There's, a, there's an illustration of that in the Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is exalted among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly? That's exactly what some of these women are saying. We're just as holy, we're just as capable, we're just as talented as you are. Yes, I have no doubt about that. The question is, who did God choose? I go a little bit further in number 16, verses 41 through 43. And now the whole congregation is gathered. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their crew are gathered together. That's challenging it. And all next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered together against Moses and Aaron, they suddenly turned or they turned toward the tabernacle of the meeting, and suddenly a cloud over covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared, and then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. You see, Korah, Dathan, and Byron were swallowed up. These people started fussing and saying, How dare you do this? You know what happened? A plague broke out. Verse 49, now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. Folks, we dare not challenge God's divine plan. 
We may have family. We may have friends that are involved. But the truth is, God comes first and foremost every time. We must preach God to this culture, not let this culture try to force us to adapt the Bible to fit it. And so I end the lesson. Will you surrender to God's will? Really, that's where it ends up. Regardless of what we're talking about, is surrendering to God's will and letting Him be the guide for our lives. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to surrender by believing in Jesus as the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. Everything is ready for you. The baptistry behind me is filled. The water is warm. There's garments prepared for you. It's really a choice that you make, and we try to make it as easy as possible. And if you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins tonight, we want to encourage you to do that. And if you're one of God's children, this is a grand opportunity for you as well to be able to be restored to faithfulness. Would you come while we stand and sing?